Thriving Families was an initiative that started probably about five or six years ago. And it was wonderful because we requested our board funded from our reserves because it was a chance for us to try doing something different where we wanted to start integrations. So it opened up a whole way of how we could do things quite innovatively. Welcome to the Thriving in Complexity podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne Libertilia, and I'd love for you to join me as I peek behind the scenes of complex situations and workplaces and interview leaders and experts who will challenge your thinking, inform and inspire your leadership so you and your team can thrive in the volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world we live in. Today, I'm speaking with Kath Bartolo. Kath is the CEO of a community-based organisation called YFS. YFS is based in Logan in Queensland in Australia. Now, Kath is widely recognised for the work that she's done in taking a more holistic approach, backing people to achieve real change in their lives, and she's done a lot of work to foster integration, service expansion, partnerships and prevention so that people experiencing adversity in Logan can thrive. And she was recognized for all of this amazing work that she's done in 2022 when she was awarded the Member of the Order of Australia. And that was in recognition of her many years of service to the Logan community, to young people and to the community sector. Now, YFS has grown significantly over the last 20 years And with Kath about to leave YFS to experience the next phase of her life, I'm so pleased that she's agreed to share our conversation with you because she has so much wisdom to share and such real life experience of navigating complexity. I hope you find some real gems in this conversation. Morning, Kath. It's lovely to have you here with us today. Hello, Suzanne. It's good to be invited. So thank you so much. No, look, I know that I'm just stoked that we are able to have you on the podcast because I know that although you've been with YFS for a very long time, you're moving on to another phase of life. So we feel really privileged that you're giving us some of your time to share some of your insights about all of the many things that you've learned about thriving and complexity over your career. So really excited to have you here today. Thank you. And I wondered if we could get started with asking you to share something about yourself that many people may not know. I'm not sure how many people know, but I was a nun for 12 years. So I was a presentation sister and that's how I came to work in Logan. I went and worked in a flexi school that was quite new and had started in Logan to support young people who'd been expelled or suspended from school and who were truanting. Wow, I didn't know that. That's such an interesting way to get involved in a community organisation. And I think I learned fast there. I loved the job. I wouldn't have got the job if I hadn't been a nun because there was no funding for the staff. Okay. So the school was run really by a couple of Christian brothers and a couple of presentation sisters. But 
I also learned so much from the young people and families in Logan. And I also figured you didn't have to be a religious sister to still do that work. Yeah. That there was everyone was doing social justice work and you didn't have to be like a religious person to do that. Yeah. So I learned that fairly fast. <laughs> <laughs> and is religion still very important to you, Kat? Uh, yes, it is. Like I'm obviously a Catholic. I don't believe in everything that the Catholic Church might profess to at times, but it is very core to who I am. And to me, it's just based on those social justice principles. Yes. Yeah. And ensuring that the poor are supported and get a fair deal. Yeah. And the Kath, just looking at what you've achieved in Logan after over more than 20 years, you've been such a driving force behind building YFS into the dynamic organisation it is today with a very strong focus on really helping people experiencing vulnerability in the Logan community. What are some of the complex challenges a community-based organisation like YFS exists to overcome? Well, I think the complexity of the people we're working with is certainly increasing it also means this has an increase, that we're dealing with multiple challenges in people. We have a project, Logan Zero, that collects data about homeless people to try and ensure that they get a support service. And that data clearly demonstrates that homeless people aren't just homeless. Over 85% of them would have mental health or health problems, which we know if we don't have a home that your health's going to be impacted. Many of those people who present to us have domestic violence issues. So it's become more complex. The way the services are funded, though, they're often siloed and it's about who's eligible. And so that's added to the complexity of the challenge. I think it would be ideal, really, if we had a menu of services and just with that open door to say, tell us what's your problem or trouble and let's see how we can respond in a very holistic way, which we do try and do, but it's sort of restricted. I think our work that we're doing at the moment in integration has really helped us address some of that complexity. So we're not putting people into slots. And some of those examples are that we have an integrated family housing program and that enables the family workers to do really long-term work, perhaps with a homeless family, whereas the housing workers might do more sharp and focused work to address the homeless problem. So it's about us also how we're trying to work together more effectively to address that complexity. I think one of the biggest challenges I've seen in that complexity is in recent years in Logan, there's no housing affordability. Two years ago, we could find a private rental for someone who was just on Centrelink payments. Mm -hmm. But the whole cost of living compounded with poverty has made some of that complexity more challenging. Yeah. And, you know, I obviously worked in a role in government, which was about commissioning services. But what I've really noticed since I've come out of that type of role and been working with non-government organisations is just how much those organisations really need to use, be very creative yes, and very connected to the community and looking at how do we actually focus on the people and wrap 
the programs and the options that we have around those people. Yes. So I know the work that you've been doing around integration has been really key so that people aren't falling through the cracks of eligibility requirements or I don't fit in this box, but I do fit partly in this box. Exactly. It really requires that flexibility on the part of service providers, doesn't it? It sure does. And otherwise, as you know, people get on a merry-go-round and give up, really, because they might come to YFS and we say, well, we can't do that. And we send you somewhere else. And for people who are already very vulnerable or fatigued or don't even have some of the resources to get to the next agency, that's not going to work. Yeah. yeah. And has that been something that's really changed over time, Kath, if you think back to early days? I think it has, unfortunately. I think, well, when we would have worked, say, 20 or 15 years ago, we probably were more spontaneous. But then I would have to question sometimes if that was effective because we didn't have some of the other rigour that we have with our investment in really measuring our work and yes. checking out what we're doing. I often tell the story that when I first came to YFS, which was around 27 years ago, and I was a disability coordinator when I came, I know some of the youth workers would say, well, we took those young people out to lunch. They had a really good feed and we had a good chat. So I think we might have been thinking we were responsive to all that, but I'm not sure about the rigour of our work back then either. Yeah. So it's a shift from feeling like you're doing good to actually knowing the impact yes. that you're having. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yes. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. And what other ways has the operating environment changed over that time? Well, certainly, as I highlighted, us measuring our outcomes. We started that really about seven years ago. And we expect all our programs, whether they're a homeless program or a families program, to assess some common outcomes of what we're doing so that it's not just based on what the government want us to report. Some of those outcomes we're measuring are things like people's housing status when they come to us, their financial stability, their safety, their social connection, whether they have friends whether they have skills and hope. So that's been one area that we've worked on. We know that if we want to create change in people's lives, we've got to do more than patch up a crisis yes. as well. Yes. Otherwise, it becomes a bit of a revolving door, doesn't Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And there's always someone else who needs to be supported coming through. So you're really looking at how are you moving people forward in life? Yes, exactly. I mean, it takes a lot of skill and art from our staff. I think one of the other impacts that I'm seeing in recent times is even the challenge of recruiting skilled staff because the work is so complex, so we need to pay people accordingly. Yes. Their jobs aren't simple. They're quite yes. complex as well, and they have to navigate with those families or young people that path forward as well as sort of be often outside, well, they are outside the office and working through how to, you know, ensure that happens well. I know that that's a very big challenge here in Australia. I know the work being done nationally around the care and support economy, but it's a fairly narrow focus, isn't it, at the yes. moment, rather than the breadth of 
the care and support economy, particularly when we look at the people who are involved in supporting the complexity for young people, that the national work tends to focus much more on particular groups such as older Australians, people coming out of the defence services and First Nations peoples. But there is a broader need across the sector or the industry, isn't there, for people who really understand systems and how to work within in systems. Yes. And it's not just a transactional type of role that people tend to assume it is. No, it's not. It takes a lot of sophistication and even stepping back, reflecting what we're doing, how we can continually improve it. Yes. Yeah. And... What have been some of the constants, Kath, the things that we need to make sure that we keep or are there any things that you think we should try and still shift and get away from? Well, for me and at YFS, a constant has been our core values and that focus on that why we exist. Yes. Like YFS has had four values for over 10 years, excellence, integrity, optimism and steadfastness. And then two years ago, we created a fifth value, Courage, which is about us being more active in the advocacy and innovation space and being bold enough to do that. I think another important long-term constant is valuing intense case management. (laughs) Some of the people we work with have had very damaged and traumatic lives. They have lived in poverty for a long time. They may have had no one in their household that's ever worked and so no role models. So I think to me a constant is really undertaking that long-term case management. And for some people, they might need two years. They may need five years. But again, that's a challenge when things are more short-term. I think the other constant for me is the fact that YFS has been a constant in this Logan community. Yeah. So people know that this is a place they can come to. Yeah. Yeah. Just thinking about case management, Kath, I mean, I've got some training in coaching and when you think about how that works, it's actually a companion to walk alongside you, not someone to tell you what to do, but it's someone who can help you find those resources within yourself. How does that align to case management? Yes, and when I use that term case management, I'd have to say in the last three to four years that we're probably calling our case managers now either navigators or coaches or practitioners because we would agree and always our philosophy about case management is it's not about directing but it's very driven by who we're working with, their goals. But I think, yeah, that's certainly a shift even in the terminology that we use as well as those core principles because unless we enable people to be empowered, they're always going to have that dependency. So they also need to know that there's services and supports in the community that are bigger than that are also outside of YFS. Yes. And so I think that navigation and walking alongside is so important. Yeah. Often when people finish with us, we'll ask them what's changed and they'll talk about their now awareness of a lot of other things that they can access. And another challenge for us 
that sometimes we're not as good at but we keep focusing is on some of the greatest things we can work within that space of navigating and helping people is that they might have some informal social networks where they meet friends or connect back to family. Yeah. So they're not always dependent on services. And that's one of the things that we've certainly seen, isn't it, with the breakdown of community within society? Yes. That loss of relationship and and support network. Absolutely. And for people who've experienced domestic violence and had to move or people who've even, you know, moved to Logan because the housing might have been cheaper, they're often quite isolated from family and friends. Yeah. And Kath, just thinking about what you were talking about before with the staff and the complexity that they face every day, the staff across YFS aren't all working at the same pace or in the same type of environment, are they? Because you've got some staff with housing where it's very much, what are we going, how are we going to help this person tonight? Exactly. How are we going to make sure they have somewhere to stay next week? Yes. Whereas you might have someone else working with a family which is over a two-year period working through a long, complex history which can often involve trauma and really significant disadvantage and helping people to understand themselves and learn new skills. So how do you see that affecting the way in which YFS works? It certainly works across that continuum. At times, it probably would cause some tension even because of different frameworks, different approaches, but the key to it is the collective and how we try and do that together so that the crisis can be alleviated to enable that movement to some of that more long-term and holistic picture and being able to resource that. Yes. But it, it certainly creates some robust discussions at times and particularly if some of those different practitioners are working together with a common person or family, that creates tension at times. Yeah. Because, yeah, the housing workers will naturally say, this is urgent. This family needs to respond to this offer of a home now. And the family worker might be saying, oh, they might need more time to think about it and how that comes together that we get the best outcome for the family is really important. And so it's really about workers being aware of their own frameworks they operate within and how that actually impacts on the people that they're trying to help. Exactly. And also, I think, being prepared to give up some turf and appreciate that there can at times be more than one way to do something, or it might be the collective wisdom of the two different workers or styles that does get the best outcome. Yeah. And I know for the last few years, certainly, I'm I'm sure you did work before this, but the work I'm aware of that you've been doing across your whole middle management team, making sure that all of those people actually understand how they can work together and influence the type of culture that you want across YFS so that you're, I know you've been actively doing work to break down those silos and encourage those leaders to actually understand the impact of them only focusing on their patch and the need to work across the organisation. Yes, yes. We have invested a lot of time and 
continue to do that and that's then linked with that leads to not only being aware of what others are doing and how we're going to work together but how we manage change and other key areas yeah yeah, yeah. and it it gets even more complex, doesn't it? Because as a community-based organisation, you're obviously accountable to a board, but there are a range of other stakeholders that affect your operations as well. Who are some of those other players? Oh, the other players over time have been, for many years, Logan City Council had what was called a Logan City of Choice leadership team. So that was a wonderful collective. I was privileged to be a delegate for some time on it, representing the community sector, but it had business, it had local, state, federal government and different champions in Logan where we could address some of the common problems and systemic areas together, yeah. whether it was housing and homelessness or domestic violence or also like multiculturalism and First Nations are key areas in our Logan community, how we can continue to develop great relationships and cohesion in that mm. area. Another one's been Logan Together. So that's been significant in terms of how it brought people together to look at how we could bring about change and recognise the importance of YFS being part of that story. So um, I'm also conscious really an important thing has been that we as an organisation, YFS, is accountable to the Logan community because we see ourselves as place-based and this is our patch, this is where we started 40 years ago and that we keep that strong commitment up. Yes, yes. And I know Logan Together has been an interesting initiative because when it first came in, it very much came out of the roots of collective impact in the States where government and government funding played a very different role. So I know there were some very early challenges, weren't there, around understanding how you can actually use the different buckets of money that you receive in a more flexible way and still meet your contractual obligations, I suppose, with the state. So that was a really interesting exercise in trying to work together about how do you achieve the outcome but still make sure that you don't get yourself into some hot water. Yes, very true. And that created, as you imagine, lots of tension with community organisations and government not really wanting to change in lots of ways, even though we had the theory of how it makes sense. I mean, for us at YFS, though, when Logan together, those first couple of years, it was very ambitious. And Logan's a big city, so it was also difficult to think of all the different services and how that common good was going to be yes. achieved. But in the last 18 months, Slogan Together has decided to, I guess, scale down so that it can be effective in a smaller concentrated area. Yes. Like there's an Eagleby together. And seeing Eagleby together, it's like the school principals, the local groups in Eagleby, the local residents, we can see some of that principles now of what that collective is about really taking shape and ownership. But Logan Together also has helped, I believe, the whole concept of how we had to think differently. It was through Logan Together that we did start Thriving Families, which was our first program in doing integration of putting homeless and housing together. So without Logan Together setting that roadmap, yes. I don't know whether we would have tried it as intently. Yeah. 
Well, I, I remember having to get a whole heap of people from across government together without community-based organisations and us having to have a whole range of quite challenging and robust conversations around, well, what are the barriers? Yes. That how is government getting in the way? Yes. How does the public service need to do things differently to actually enable this type of change on the ground? And so I, I agree with you. I think some of the the things that were challenged back then have really opened the way for people to do things very differently to the way that they've done in the past. Could you tell people a little bit more about what Thriving Families is about? So Thriving Families was an initiative that started probably about five or six years ago. And it was wonderful because we requested our board funded from our reserves because it was a chance for us to try doing something different where we wanted to start integration. So it was about younger families under 25 who had some homeless problems, but it also enabled us to do the coaching with them and ensure that the children were being connected yes. to early childhood like going to a play group or going to early childhood care or kindy, looking at the health of those children, but also then providing parents with parenting skills and other skills about, you know, healthy relationships rather than being in domestic violence, as well as maintaining, attaining a home and working on maintaining that home and being good tenants. And so I think what we loved about it was we didn't have any constraints from government. Yes. So we didn't have a contract that said you had to tick all these boxes, but we were evaluating it and we were doing what a good contract should do, like continuous improvement about, well, we've learned that for these young families, we need to bring in an employment worker, say, yes, if they want to maintain their housing and they need skills because we want them to aspire to working as well as being good parents and good tenants. So it opened up a whole way of how we could do things quite innovatively. Yes. It went for about two and a half years, but as a result of it, the Department of Housing then funded us for a small program that enabled us to have two housing workers embedded in five of our programs, four families program and domestic violence, so that we could continue the principles of what we learned. Yes. So was it very much about self-initiated action learning that then informed how government chose to invest on an ongoing basis? Yes. And I think government have learned from what we did. I know we did a webinar because it was during COVID, some of it, and it had over 200 people participate or to learn about it, but it really was informing, I believe, government and others of what's possible. Yes. And I also can see I was invited recently to attend the Domestic Violence and Housing Roundtable. Unfortunately, the meeting happened with coincided with the day the ministers changed, so it didn't go ahead, but will go ahead soon. But a perfect example of how we can now transfer what we've learnt from that first integrated project into like having housing workers embedded in all domestic violence services. Yes. Because the domestic violence workers have high workloads 
They're dealing with safety plans and the crisis management, but the most urgent need is often to get stable housing, and that takes time, and they don't have the time or the skills to do that. Yeah, yeah. And, Kath, I think Thriving Families is such a wonderful example of how an initiative like Logan Together can influence change Yes, across the rest of the system. Are there any other examples of that? Well, we've also learnt, I think, over time about the importance of employment in people's lives. Well, we've learnt that. We've always known it, but again thought, oh, well, we're not an employment service provider. So, you know, we need to refer people to the employment service provider. But again, the nature of the people we work with, they're not naturally going to always turn up to those service providers or get the best deal because those people are quite busy too and it's a big system. So when Parents Next came to YFS, that was a real opening for us around it was compulsory because people were Centrelink referrals. Yes. But it also gave the opportunity for people who would never have gone to a place like YFS to be connected to us. Yes. And they learnt that they could trust us, that we weren't necessarily about compliance. We genuinely wanted to help them and engage with them. And then that enabled to open up the fact that they did have other problems that they were struggling with and they were the barriers to them getting a job or studying, like maybe not knowing how to navigate the childcare system so they could get a job. Or also they might have had relationships and domestic violence problems and didn't know that you could seek help. Yeah. So yeah, some from some of these programs, which wasn't always, I think, the original intent, some other great works come out. Yes. I mean, one of our, talking about employment, we have at the moment an employment mentor who works across our homeless, domestic violence and youth programs to help people get jobs. So that's been fantastic. Yeah. Because that really breaks some of the cycle. Yeah. It sounds to me that the real value of an organization like YFS is in the trust that it builds yes. with people in the community. Yes. Who would otherwise probably experience what I think of as systemic harm from interaction exactly. with services that are very focused on one thing and are ignoring the whole person and the whole person needs. And that's the difference that an organization that YFS can make by actually understanding the community, understanding the the broader range of challenges that people in that community face, and then building trust with people so that they actually feel safe getting the support that they need. No, I agree. And I think it's really important that YFS does act as a responsible organisation because we are a long-term committed organisation and we know that people like the police, the schools, other services, the councils, our local politicians and First Nations elders do count on us. You would be familiar, we've had the front of house team connect, but it's never been really funded correctly and we've always cobbled money together to try and fund it and we don't have that money anymore. And we had to make the decision about four months ago that at the end of June, we were going to close it. So that's a decision we've actually deliberated over for five years. Yeah. But through some lobbying and support from our local stakeholders, 
I believe that when the state budget comes out, we'll get some funding in that homeless area. It's not public yet, but I feel so relieved because to have closed that without an alternative, I would have felt as if YFS was letting this Logan community down. Yeah, yeah. And Kath, in recent years, a theory of change has become so important for YFS. Would you mind explaining to our listeners what that theory of change is from your perspective and the role it plays within YFS and the impact that it's having? Because I know that you're not doing things just because it seems like the right thing to do in the moment. There is actually something that sits behind all of this that underpins all of the different decisions that you're making. Yeah, and developing that theory of change, I think, was a real pivotal time for YFS. Prior to that, we defined that our purpose was to back people, to overcome adversity and to thrive. And the theory of change enabled us to set out like a roadmap of how we would do that and provide a common language to all the staff, no matter what team they were in, because it recognises, I think, the challenges that the people we work with have about they have trauma and disadvantage, they are socially isolated, the system, service system's fragmented and there's barriers, including even not having enough income. It sets out a guide to how we have to understand people, to do what it takes, work with people to bring a help them enable change, right up to the fact that we have to work with others beyond YFS if we're going to influence what's happening, whether it be unemployment systems when people can't access them. So to me, it's given us that holistic and collaborative way we can work together like I often say to the staff your team can't do it on its own if you're the legal team at YFS you will be skilled in bringing about how people have fairer and more just lives but you need the strength of others to help sort out maybe the financial literacy of the people you're working with or the housing people to sort out some stable housing so how we can work together to do that in a holistic way. So it has given us a real shared language as well. Yeah. And it would obviously also inform the work that you're doing around understanding the impact that you're having. Yes, because those key areas that we want in our impact, that people feel safe, that people have a home, that people are financially resilient or they have education and employment are the common outcomes that we're measuring as well. Yeah, yeah. And Kath, we were talking before about Logan Together and Collective Impact and talked about some of the things that you've learned there that might be quite valuable for others. But I know you've also been very open to exploring different evidence-based interventions, the ones that have been very successful elsewhere. So one, for example, I know that you've been involved in is functional family therapy, child welfare, which has had a lot of success over in the States. However, it's been really interesting, hasn't it, picking up a model like that and learning how that actually works within the existing system that's already developed here and and what's worked well and what needed to be tweaked. Any sort of insights that you have about those types of interventions and things that people might need to keep in mind? 
Yeah, and you've nailed it by saying it needed to be tweaked. Like a program like that coming from New York, being based in Jimboomba and Bow Desert District, which is semi-rural, not many services around to do other support. So it certainly has taken some tweaking. We're trialling some new areas that within the family therapy team, there's a case manager. Yes. Because there is just a lack of services and how that can work together. I think, though, but after tweaking it to a context, it certainly hasn't been simple. But there's real elements of that whole program and way of doing business that's are really important to the model of how we could adapt in other parts of YFS, like the team in family therapy work outside of office hours. Mm-hmm. They might be working till 8.30 at night because they work when the whole family can gather. Yes. Now, I think that flexibility of doing what it takes to work with people is important for all YFS programs. Yes. Sometimes a challenge, I know, when people have their own family commitments, but how we can be more accessible and work with where people are at. The team take on like the accountability for getting the family to participate. And sometimes that's, well, most times really, that's not easy. People just want their problem sorted instantly, whether it is to, but part of the family workers talk about relentless engagement. So they don't give up easily. Yeah. And they have to work hard to get the trust of that family. Yes. So that the work can continue. The work that the family therapists are doing has a lot of scrutiny, like their work's recorded by an, and an external supervisor will watch it and give feedback. So that's often hard for some staff to receive yes. as well. So you have to be pretty robust to work in there. It has certainly had its retention issues and it's hard sometimes to recruit knowing there are those extra layers of scrutiny and also like you're not always working during the day. Yes, yeah. And what difference do you think a program like that is making in terms of outcomes? I think the biggest difference it's making and I get, I am able to read examples of their work over time. So I can see that from a helicopter view as well as talking to the staff and some of the evaluation that's happening is it's actually investing in some behavior changes. So again, maybe in our other programs through the more the coaching, we're working on some of those areas, but this provides some really embedded skill to look at like when relationships are very unhealthy. Yes. Addressing some of that behavior change that hopefully is leading to more long-term changes in people's life. And there is some examples of when it has. Yes. So that families have even got resources and tips now of when they are fighting, what they can stop and do. Yes. But it's quite practical as well as got some theory behind it, but it suits their family based on their circumstances. Yeah. And there's been some good work where the family therapists might have worked with, say, our YouthLink team. So the YouthLink team's been able to support the young person as well while the family work's been happening so that it maximises participation. 
so it's when I know earlier we were talking about integration, but what I'm hearing as we're having this conversation is there's formal integration, but there's also that just constant what are we learning from one part of the organization and engagement with the people that you're helping? And how do you actually pick up what's working really well with that and then experiment with that in another area and see if that can deliver a better outcome for people? Yes, yes. And that's the beauty of even though that program was and still remains challenging in some aspects of us then being able to share those learnings. Yeah. I'd love a family therapist in each of our areas. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And these aren't easy situations that people are going into. And I know often in the media we see very probably ill-informed views shared about what people should do just to get their act together and you know what we should do to sort out a whole range of complex issues, whereas what we really need to do is have people who have got the skills to go in and support and work with people and with families to make different choices, you know, and to to learn how to live in a different, more functional way. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So creativity has been so important, hasn't it, within YFS? and really looking at how you foster that creativity to enable these sorts of different approaches. Can you give everyone some examples of some of the really creative things that you've done at YFS, in addition to the examples that you've already shared? Yeah, there's two that immediately come to mind. One is our R for Respect program. It's not large, but it came out of, we were working with Karen Struthers at the time, who was at Griffith University, she was contributing to the evaluation of our men's perpetrator domestic violence programs. And we talked about how it's really hard to know we're being effective in that space. Our main measure in that space is that the partners, the women and children are safe. Yes. We don't always know when a man finishes a group, whether we have effectively changed his behavior. And we were talking and saying we need to get to these people when they're younger. Yes. And we need to particularly get to young men. And so out of some of those conversations, Arf Respect was born. And I think the creativity and innovation of Arf Respect is that it's young people being the agents of change and educating and challenging other young people. So it's not a teacher. It's not an adult worker, but the young people are usually between the ages of 18 to 25 or so, and we invest a lot in training them, but they've been very effective, and we've had that evaluated, of how they're calling out bad behaviours and providing scenarios of what's appropriate with respectful relationships can be really effective. Yeah. I mean, the other highlight for me is Substation 33 which is a growing concern now of YFS, but started about 12 years ago with a very innovative idea from one of our youth workers at the time, Tony Sharp. He asked if we would back him to start a recycling project that started off very small about recycling computers. <laughs> and we rented a warehouse in near the Kingston Railway Station. It's now a very successful 
enterprise. It's not only doing recycling of computers and giving the skills of people to even reconstruct old computers. It's making flood signs in the community. Brisbane City Council, Logan City Council, Morton Region Council are engaging those flood signs that light up when the boys in the creek, if the signs are flooded. It has wonderful partnerships with the universities to do some of the background development of that technology. And we've recently started a partnership with Containers for Change. And we have Can Station now where we're employing unemployed people there to do some of that recycling. Just the difference that having dignity of work having a place you can go where you can get employment ready yeah. before you get a job and learn some, that you've got to turn up when you're meant to be here, that you've got to not be smelly, but you've got to be have had a shower maybe before you come to work or in the last 24 hours. So it gives a lot of work readiness support before we're able to employ people or find jobs for them externally. Yeah. And to me, that entailed a lot of backing from our board because it wasn't sustainable. Yeah. for the first seven years, but also a belief of the importance of work and the dignity that gives people and the economic changes it makes in their lives. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just a wonderful example of how creativity, when it's allowed yes. to flourish, can make such a wonderful difference in in people's lives in a community. Yes. And you know, people like Tony are so inspirational in terms of the way that they just encourage and enable other people to to get on board and, and go along. I think so. And I think I learned particularly probably my first 10 or just under 10 years, I was so caught up in making sure things were ticking over and all those operations that it didn't take enough time for some of that creativity and innovation of what's possible. Yeah, yeah. Look, I know we've experimented a few times with a structured dialogue process with your leadership team. Yes. And looking at how we can use intentional discipline processes to assist them in their conversations. Are we sort of going from one extreme to the other, aren't we, in terms of creativity yes. and letting things go? But then also, on the other hand, also looking at those times when it is valuable to have a more disciplined process to follow. What have been some of the benefits of, of doing that, choosing sometimes to say, yes, we usually love to let everyone talk and just be very free in, in what they're saying, but how has it helped in some situations to have that more disciplined dialogue process? I think the structured approach helped us to progress really hard conversations. It gave the space for us all to listen to one another and without getting stuck or distracted. That was quite helpful. When I think of one of the discussions, and it was about what I referred to earlier, that front of house team that we had, I realised when I reflect back, because we now finally have made that decision that we couldn't keep going, but Possibly during one of those discussions, there was still a lot of emotional attachment in that. And I may have even in retrospect influenced that as the CEO because I was quite committed and proud of what we had started 
15 years ago and that I don't know whether we were not as rational in that discussion, but I recognise now we had to go through that process and probably it's taken some time yes, to make that final decision because it was such an emotional one. Yeah. Yeah. And also I think I was probably a bit influential as a CEO and people are thinking, oh, we can't end this. This is YFS and who we are. Yeah. yeah. But it certainly gave us the space and the respect to look at those situations that were hard. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that it then wasn't just about the facts or the ideas, but it was also the feelings and emotions that were sitting yes. under that and making sure that the rest of the team knew that it was okay to actually call out some of the yes the sacred cows and ask questions and seek to understand. Yes, exactly. And challenge in a respectful way. Yes. By asking some of those those questions or sharing reflections. Yeah. Yes. No, very true. Yeah. Yes. So Kathy, in your own words, what does thriving and complexity mean to you? It's about working methodically through challenges or problems. And then taking, I think, a helicopter view to find some of that space and creativity. Yeah, it needs sort of that balance. And it, I think we also need thriving and complexity. It's a long-term process. Yeah. Something that you've got to work on every day, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And it's not always going to be instant. Yeah. Yeah. And as you say, sometimes, you know, you often don't know what the cause was, but it's the importance of reflecting back yes. and seeking to understand what the connections might have been after the fact, but not getting too caught up on that while still always focusing on what's next. Exactly. That's right. Or putting out the next fire or whatever. Yes. yes. And so, Kath, have you ever been faced with a complex situation that afterwards you wish you had managed differently? Yeah, I've been faced with many. I think my response to this is more about how I've handled those situations. One thing I have learnt, and that was through some of your work also, Suzanne, is that it's really important to give people, and I'm thinking of the many staff I've worked with here, direct feedback to help them. Yes. You refer to the term radical candour. Probably that's naturally not my style. Mm -hmm. Probably too much a diplomat or to be polite, but I realise when we have had complex situations, whether they be about our work or about how we're going to work together or about people's behaviours, that it's really important to give some of that direct feedback in a fair and clear way and to be honest. And it may feel uncomfortable, but it's led to far better outcomes of how we work in that complexity. Yeah. When we have so many differences. Yeah. 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 And it's that willingness for people to actually speak up and share their perspective in a respectful way and to acknowledge, you know, why you're doing it. And it's often yes. that you're coming from a place of kindness and care about someone, but yes. not beating around the bush. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I know I, I had a, a boss once who, at the time she gave me some feedback, I thought it was really, really unfair. But as yes. you know, when you reflect on it and you think about, well, why do they think that, that really can lead to some new insights and then you can do something about it. 
Yes, and work through it. So I always think it's a gift when people take the time and put themselves in a place of discomfort to give really open, honest, and constructive feedback that you can do something with. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's been a good learning. Yeah. That's a that's a, a really great learning for other people to apply. Mm, I agree. I, I know, and I've heard so many wonderful things about the contributions you've made over the years, but is there one thing that you're especially proud of having been able to influence? I think, yeah, there's many, but I'll just stick to one. I think it was the investment in our evidence-based work and being accountable, like it's not our money on the whole, of how we measure outcomes, continuous improvement, review those outcomes. I was very fortunate, I don't know whether it's 2016 or sometime, to go to New Zealand with some other CEOs and CSIA and to be exposed to some of the evaluation and coordinated work and new ways they were developing systems to join up outcomes for people who were fairly vulnerable. And that trip, even though it was only five days, really made a significant impact on me. And I remember coming back saying, we have to employ someone in the evaluation area to have in-house, yes. not to get in just a university to do an evaluation every now and then. We were very fortunate to find our evaluation manager, Katie, who has been just the most inspirational but wonderful rock. Yeah of saying, this is what you're doing, this is what the data's showing, some First Nations people aren't engaging with you, let's look why. Yeah. And so to me that was something I'm very proud of, but I haven't done all the work, but I'm proud I was able to back it. Yes, yes. And it sounds like it's had a very wide-reaching impact across YFS, which in turn will impact the people that, that you're there to serve. Exactly. And that, yeah, we're not just taking them out to lunch. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So it's understanding we know change often in this space comes from the ripples that you create, but it's focusing on which of the ripples that are the ones that we want to try and create to influence the changes we want to see. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so, Kat, looking back, if you could give advice to your 25-year-old self, what would it be? I'll be confident. I wasn't always as confident as I am now. You know, trust your instincts. You're usually right. Look, I'm a very down-to-earth person. I'm very practical. I was born and bred in Mackay. Not that you've got to be born and bred in like a regional town, but I grew up in a family business. So to me, just having those, believing in those everyday principles of you know, treating your customers well, treating your partners in business well, treating your staff well, as well as not feeling intimidated at times by experts or academics because together we can work through and address problems. Yeah. I think they're um, very sound advice for people to think about. Yeah. It's all about relationships really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And how do you invite other people to respond yes. in a positive way based on yes. how you behave towards them? Yeah. Yes. Now, Kath, I would normally ask our listeners how they can connect with you online. However, as you're moving on 
to another phase of your life. Yes. How can people connect with YFS instead? I'll certainly go to our website. It's www.yfs.org.org.au or we're on Facebook or LinkedIn or certainly you're welcome to call us, 38261500. Yeah, and Kath, thank you so much for sharing your insights today. I hope that people have got some value out of that and particularly anyone who's earlier on in their journey working in a community-based organisation. I think there's certainly a lot of gems in there about things that they can can think about or incorporate in their reflection or even just experiment with. But thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Suzanne. It's been a great opportunity for me to reflect back on my time here in YFS and Logan. And yeah, thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Thanks, Suzanne. Thanks for listening. If you had something you want to revisit or explore in more detail, you can check out the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and you like helping others to open their thinking, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. As always, a big thank you to Leon Fitton and the team at the Podcast Concierge. That's all for this episode. I'll see you next time.